Okay now, 7-5-2020, the day after the great 4th of July. Hope you all had a good one. It's Sunday. I'm Wes, Anxiety Help with Wes. I got coffee on standby at 7 p.m. in the evening. Just a little sip to keep me going. And if, you, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, Wes, you sound very relaxed today. You sound at one with yourself. I am. I got my yoga in. I hit up the steam room after. I jumped in the pool, went back to the steam room. Of course, I rinsed off in the shower in between. Had a great weekend with family and extended family out at the lake. I remember this this 4th of July. We were out at the lake. It was beautiful here, and I thought, there's nowhere else I would rather be. This is it. it it's This is beautiful, and this is it. And I can think of many holidays where... You know, my anxiety was was a big challenge, and, and and as a matter of fact, I took a vacation the week before last, and anxiety was a massive challenge, and I did my problem solving in seven steps. I went to my tools, and we dealt with it and, and, and crawled out of it. Today, I found an article called anxiety well the article is called unwanted intrusive thoughts it is from the anxiety and depression association of america adaa.org and i'm going to kind of give you a little bit of the background of what got me to this article it is not a story i wanted a story here's how i got to this i'm looking at the list of cognitive distortions have you seen this these are the thinking errors it was developed i believe by Aaron T. Beck, let me see at the top of this article. One, one article I'm, I'm looking at is from healthline.com, and it kind of goes into the history, and there's you know 8 to 15 cognitive distortions, thinking errors that cause us pain. And they were identified, and they've kind of been, um, uh, they've been improved on. Cognitive distortions... Uh, are a way of coping with adverse life events, according to research. Uh, The more prolonged and severe these adverse events are, it's more likely that one or more cognitive distortions will form. An early theory suggests that human beings might have developed these distortions as some sort of evolutionary survival method. So, in any way, Anyway, rather, here's, here's a couple. Polarized thinking. That's black or white thinking. It's a distortion that occurs when people think in extremes. It's extreme, like yes, no. What about maybe? What about the gray area? There is a, a, a counseling center called the Middle Path not far from me, and they're all about finding the gray area, which can be really hard. It's a distortion, when it's all like polarized thinking, we're either, for example, destined for success or be doomed for failure. How do we know there's not a C or D option in there? Another one is catastrophizing. Catastrophize, it's a distortion. This thinking leads people to dread or assume the worst when faced with the unknown. When we catastrophize, Ordinary worries quickly escalate. For example, an unexpected or an expected check does not arrive in the mail. You're expecting a check. It doesn't show up. If we catastrophize, 
It may begin with a fear that it will never arrive and that as a consequence, it won't, we, I can't pay rent and the whole family will be evicted. That's catastrophizing. Wow. Overreaction much? Hmm. We may develop this, I'm reading, due to repeated adverse events, like it's some sort of self-protective mechanism. Okay, the one I was focused on getting up to today's article was personalization, because this is something that I really dealt with. One of the most common errors in thinking is taking things personally, when in fact they're not connected to or caused by us at all. We may be engaging in personalization when we blame ourselves for circumstances that aren't our fault or, what's more, beyond our control. That's another key element I'm finding in this anxiety stuff we're trying to control sometimes. For example, is when we incorrectly assume that we've been intentionally excluded or targeted. I was excluded on this one, and it was intentional. Let's take a look. Were, was I excluded? And if I was, was it actually intentional? This definitely brings up anxiety and depression. And I, I think for myself, by the way, that was always what I was looking for, to be dropped or to be excluded. I was looking to prove a story right regularly, which is you don't care. You don't care about me. And, and with that loop running through my head. I was looking for ways to prove it. And there's actually some manifesting. If we're not careful, we can manifest this stuff into our lives uh, because we want to prove our stories correct. Well, I, when, when I'm talking about intrusive thoughts, when I started to get an idea that this is not me, this is not who I am or even accurate per se, it is a part of my unwanted intrusive thoughts, my rumination, our thought addiction. So I find this article, and it is by um, two really smart people, Dr. Martin Seif, PhD, and Sally Winston's um, uh, Psych D. Uh, she is a psychologist. Am I saying that? Doctor, doctorate of psychology. And by the way, on this time, when I saw the names, and after I read the article, I said, who the heck are the authors anyway? So I go on to, um, uh, I, I do a bunch of research, and, and I look into it, and Sally is, uh, Sally Winston founded this, she's been doing her thing, like, she's the rock star in this world, you know, Uh recognized regionally, nationally for over 40 years. And what she does is she treats OCD and anxiety disorders. And she opened her own clinic. And uh, I'm looking at her, and she's got this big mop of gray hair. I'm sorry. It's this big curly head of gray hair. She looks a little bit hippie-ish. And then I watch a video of her, and she's just, she's, listen, She's all about helping people with anxiety. She's not playing games. She's nice. She's just like, yeah, I've studied this, this stuff a lot. I'm an expert, and I have something to offer. Then I go to Dr. Martin Seif, and I look at a picture of him, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he's one of those umpity, you know, he's just a really serious dude. 
no fun. And then I start uh, reading about him and his, and I'll watch his video. He's incredibly funny. And in one of his videos, and he, he, he's a creator and he has his own thing and he worked with um let's see right here is drmartinseef.com he worked for many years with people specifically with a fear of flying martin n seef if i'm saying that right i'm probably messing it up um very 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 funny and very smart in how they write this and together they do a book and this book I've got pulled up. You can get it on Amazon called Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts, a CBT-based guide to getting over frightening, obsessing, or disturbing thoughts. Okay. On one of the videos with Dr. Seif, he, I found out, and I got curious, why are they, why, you know, I understand how accomplished they are, but, but why do they care? And Dr. Seif basically said, listen, I turned my disability into an okay career. Here's a couple of quotes from one of the YouTube videos I watched. His response to this anxiety sounds so simple when he tells people what they need to do, which is change their perspective and attitude, but ultimately it is complicated to achieve. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. He says he doesn't necessarily work with people on coping skills. He says, you can read about those online and you don't really need me. Here's the most interesting thing I I heard from one of the things I found about him is he says the rules are different with anxiety. It's a different rule set when you're dealing with this disorder or this challenge. The harder you try to shake it, the worse it becomes generally. And and he, he paints a picture of why how we respond in general to problems, but why that does not work with anxiety. Um, Great stuff. And before we get to the article, here's a comment that came from this article. One of the comments below, I can now say that after 25 years of suffering from unwanted thoughts, I am finally free. I had really bad thoughts. You know the thoughts... Uh, You dare to tell no one those thoughts. I was convinced I am turning into a bad person. While I had some good reading or anxiety books, books, nothing comes even close to explain the topic like this one. I found that everyone has some inappropriate thoughts from time to time, and when I read about the myths associated with thoughts, I was a victim of that. Excuse me. I was a victim of that uh, was the moment I was set free. I don't know what you mean right there. That was the moment I put all of the puzzle pieces together, pieces that I had desperately searched for for 25 years. Big thank you for the book. It's all I needed. What are unwanted intrusive thoughts? Let's get going. All right. Unwanted intrusive thoughts are stuck thoughts that cause great distress. Pretty simple. They seem sometimes to come out of nowhere, arrive with a whoosh, and cause a great deal of anxiety. Those of us with anxiety, we know that sometimes we have the, the, the thing that happens that causes anxiety, and we're like, okay, I have reason to be anxious. But sometimes when these thoughts come in from nowhere, or the feeling comes in from nowhere, and you're like, why am I thinking about this? 
the content of unwanted intrusive thoughts often focuses on sexual or violent or socially unacceptable images. People who experience unwanted intrusive thoughts are afraid they might commit the acts they picture in their mind. Yes, they also fear that the thoughts might mean something terrible about them. Some unwanted intrusive thoughts consist of, and I've got a list, repetitive doubts about relationships. It's not going to work out. It's bad. Maybe that's negative self-talk as well. Unwanted intrusive. You know it's there and you can't shake it. Decisions, small and large. Decisions. Another unwanted intrusive thought that's very common, sexual orientation or identity. Intrusions of thoughts about safety. I'm not safe. Religion, death. How about this? Worries about questions that cannot be answered with certainty. I need certainty here, and I'm going to keep thinking about this thing in my mind. Some are just weird thoughts that make no apparent sense. Unwanted, intrusive thoughts can be very explicit, and many people are ashamed or worried about them, and therefore they keep them secret. I'm going to go back up in this article are afraid that they might commit the acts they picture in their mind. For example, sometimes there's the thought of, what if I lose control and I hurt myself or someone else? What I'm finding for those of us with anxiety, if that idea is displeasing to us, it's very likely that that is anxiety. And he he, will keep going because it discusses it. But I remember for me, that I thought, what if my what if my body decides to run the car off into the ditch? Oh my Lord, what if I decide to start yelling in church? Or what if my legs just jumped? I don't want to do that. Jumped off this tower or this building. Or what if, at my worst, what if I couldn't control my body and my, my body got a gun and hurt myself or my family? I remember when I came back home, when it got really bad, I said, Dad, I'm going to be crashing with you for a few days. Clear the house of guns because I may be going crazy. It turned out that wasn't the case. Why? Well, we know a bunch of things. Like if we're worried about going crazy, that's a sign that we're coherent. In any case, there are many myths. <clears throat> Hold on. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of myths about unwanted intrusive thoughts. One of the most distressing is that having such thoughts mean that we unconsciously want to do things that come to our mind. This isn't true. And in fact, the opposite is true. It is the effort people use to fight the thought that makes it stick and fuels its return. Again, the effort that we use to fight the thought which causes it to kind of stick around and actually increases it. People fight thoughts because the content seems alien, unacceptable. They're at odds, these thoughts, with who we are. So, for example, people with violent, unwanted, intrusive thoughts are gentle people. People who have unwanted, intrusive thoughts about suicide love life. And those who have thoughts of yelling blasphemies in church value their religious life. Another myth is that every thought we have 
is worth examining. Every thought we have, we got to examine, we got to break it down. In truth, guess what? These thoughts are not messages, red flags, signals, or warnings, despite how they feel. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm breaking, I got to break that down for me. Did that make sense to you all? I, it, okay. <coughs> He's saying the second myth, every thought we have at this myth We've got to examine all our thoughts. And what he's saying is, maybe not. Let's see if he talks further about it. The problem for people who have these thoughts, in one estimate, by the way, is that more than 6 million people in the U.S. are troubled by them. More than 6 million. I think we got 330 million. So we're not alone. But anyway. Unwanted intrusive thoughts feel so threatening. Hmm. That's because anxious thinking takes over. And the thought, as abhorrent as it might be, seems to have power. It actually doesn't. People tend to try desperately and urgently get to get rid of the thought, get out of here, which paradoxically fuels the intensity. The harder we try to suppress or distract or substitute our thoughts, the stickier the thoughts become. Okay, hang on. What are you telling me? I should just ignore it? Because if I try to, well, distract or suppress. He's not giving us the answer yet, but he has said suppressing doesn't work, like pretending it's not there, push it down. Distracting ourselves doesn't work substituting thoughts like switching gears doesn't work ultimately. That's what he's saying. People who are bothered by intrusive thoughts need to learn a new relationship to their thoughts. I, we've probably heard this before, haven't we? But just stick with it. <clears throat> Sometimes the content of thoughts are, in fact, irrelevant and unimportant. Okay? Mm-hmm. Everyone has occasional, weird, bizarre, socially improper, and violent thoughts. Our brains sometimes create junk thoughts, and these junk thoughts are just part of the flotsam and jetsam. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't remember what that's from. Is that Beauty and the Beast or the Little Mermaid? I don't know. Stream of consciousness. Junk thoughts are meaningless. If we don't pay attention or get involved with these junk thoughts. They dissipate, and they get washed away into a flow of consciousness. In reality, a thought, even a very scary thought, is not an impulse. The problem is not one of impulse control. It's over control, period. Control. Opposite ends of the continuum. However, we do tend to get bluffed by our anxiety, and we become desperate for reassurance. Here's the thing with reassurance. It only works temporarily. And other people can become reassurance junkies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I talk to so many people. And I'm like, I'm going to give you a little dose of reassurance, but it's not going to get you there. So let's not waste any more time with me reassuring you right now that you're not crazy and you're not going to get locked up and you're not... I, I can share a little bit. I can reassure for a moment, but but then we got to move on. The only effective way to deal, oh, this is going to be good, with intrusive thoughts is by 
reducing one's sensitivity to them, not by being reassured that it won't happen or it is not true. It is by reducing one's sensitivity. What does that mean? Well, all right. These thoughts are reinforced by getting entangled with them. We, we spend time worrying and thinking about them, struggling against them, trying to reason them away. They are also made stronger by trying to avoid. Uh, avoid them? Yeah, they increase. Leave the thoughts alone. Treat them, treat them as if they're not even interesting, and they will eventually fade into the background. He gives the steps for doing it. I, I'm big on a, a thought list. And uh, to, to help better understand, I start with a thought list to first understand and be, become really aware. And then we, we develop tools from that thought list. So he gives some specific things to do for changing our attitude and our perspective of overcoming unwanted intrusive thoughts. And also, I say he, he and she, they. And they tell us to try not to do some things. By the way, when I watch the video um, with Dr. Martin Seif, he talks about, he said sometimes he likes to take a problem and move his head and say, how about we come over here? And he'll move his head around to the other side and say, let's take a look from this angle at the problem. And again, he said it, it's not a fancy thing that we're doing, but it's very complicated to achieve sometimes. And it takes time. Here's the first thing he says to do. Label these thoughts as intrusive thoughts. Oh, this thought, or I'm going to hurt myself, intrusive. Or I'm, I'm worried about going insane, that's called an intrusive thought. I, I don't have control over it. Remind self that these thoughts are automatic and they're not up to me. Okay, let me, let me try it, doctor. So let's just say I have the thought of, oh my gosh, I'm depersonalized, and this, this may mean that I'm getting worse. I'm depersonalized. By the way, that is always important to identify the meaning. There's the thought, and then there's what we make the thought mean, So or the feeling. I feel depersonalized. What do I make it mean? That I'm getting worse. I'm actually getting worse. Okay. So I can label, so I have that awareness I feel depersonalized and I'm getting worse. And I think I'm getting worse. I'm worried. I can then say, hey, Wes, this is an intrusive thought. By the way, these thoughts are automatic. They are not up to me. Then he says, step three, uh, accept and allow the thoughts into our minds. Do not try to push them away. Here's exactly what I like to do. I say that. I accept and I allow this thought into my mind even though I don't like it. Sometimes I even talk to myself and I and I name the thought. Like, oh hey DP, and I'm getting worse. Hey, hello, intrusive thought. You're welcome to come on into my brain and stay as long as you want and come and go as you please. I wish you weren't here, but since you are, I'll just say hello to you and I'm gonna get back to what I'm doing. Yes, I talk to myself and I don't care how it sounds, that's just what I do and it works. He says, float and practice allowing time to pass. What the heck does float mean? What does it mean? Float above it? What do you all think? Float. Float. Maybe it's like the float, the thought floats in the, cl cl the cloud or your mind. Just let it float. Let it sit and, and let it be there. 
and know that it'll move on. Remember in the next piece. <coughs> oh, more coffee needed, please. He says, remember, less is more. Pause. Give ourselves time. There's no urgency. I see. So you're saying that we 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 want to come to a resolution and figure this thing out right now. He's saying, hey, don't don't hold on, do less, give it a minute. No urgency because we go to urgent zone immediately. Here's another one: expect the thoughts to come back again. Oh yeah, we want to wish it away. I wish it weren't here. Oh, you're back and go away, and I hope you don't come back again. Here's the thing: when we wish something away. And we go, oh, I hope that doesn't come back again. We do a check-in, a a morbid self-reflection, a check-in. Hey, hey, thought, are you back? Oh, yes, you're still there. Oh, no. We we do these check-ins. But if we expect the thought to come back again, yeah, I'm going to have another panic attack. How about that? What about panic attacks? Oh, I hope I don't have another panic attack. Is a panic? And then we'll do the check-in. Is the panic attack there? Is the panic attack there? Wait. I will have another panic attack. It's most likely that I will have another panic attack. My body is still on heightened alert. I've had a lot in the past. I will have another one most likely in the future. I expect it to be back. I expect it to come back. Lastly, continue whatever we were doing prior to the intrusive thought while allowing the anxiety to be present. It makes me think of the, the line, honor commitments, not feelings. So just because I have this thought and it's put me in an anxious state does mean I get to drop my activity and it now controls me. I'm going to swallow a glass of suck because it's not... By the way, he never says in this article, uh, he or she, when I, I mean Dr. Seif, and what is her name again? Names can be hard sometimes. Sally Winston, Miss Winston, Dr. Winston. They never say it's going to be easy. They never say you just you, you do this process and you, and you're going to be happy, extremely happy. They're saying this is how to deal with this. My experience is it's not fun, but I got to honor my commitments or it gets worse. So however I feel, I'm going to keep an in integrity. I like using the WCS tool, the worst case scenario and time it. If if the worst case scenario which might be, I pass out and die. If that doesn't happen in, say, two minutes, i got to continue on with my activity. I have to talk to my anxiety. Okay, depersonalized and you're getting worse fear. Whatever was supposed to happen didn't happen in two minutes or whatever I'm worrying about. You, you just hang out in my brain and I'm going to keep moving. Continue what we were doing. Unless, of course, we're just rolling around in bed at noon. Maybe we need to change what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, try not to. He says, do not do this. Try not to do this. Engage with the thoughts. Mm. Push the thoughts out of our mind. Go away thoughts. Try not to figure out what the thoughts quote unquote mean. Try not to, I've never heard this before, check to see if this is quote working to get rid of the thoughts. Is this working? Try not to. That's that check in. Try not to do the following. This approach is difficult. It can be difficult to apply, but anyone who keeps applying it for just a few weeks, there is a chance that 
we may see a decrease in the frequency and intensity of the unwanted intrusive thoughts. It is a practice. It is hard. So the book that they put together is called Unwanted, Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts. I have not read it. And you know the thing for me too, this is just a little bit about me. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these people. I got to up my anxiety game. I'm supposed to be out here helping people with this. I got to up my game. I Because... I want to study. I was actually looking this week at, I'm a school counselor, and I was looking at becoming uh, a licensed professional counselor, and do I want to get in that world? And I said to myself, yeah, maybe. Why not get to understand this understand this thing, the brain and, and our feelings and anxiety, as best as you can? I might, I might get all fancy. Who knows? It has it has got uh, uh, a lot of awards, a lot of recommendations, and uh, you can get it in Espanol. They both have websites, Dr. Martin Seif and Miss Sally, Dr. Sally Winston. Names are hard. I keep saying it to try to remind myself. They also have a free webinar. Overcoming Intrusive Thoughts. I didn't check that out. They've got videos. All the links, sir, are are posted. But again, unwanted intrusive thoughts. This is one of many ways, uh, one strategy. And I'm thinking, too, there are so many people out there who need help with anxiety. And there are so many highly qualified professionals that don't seem to do a good job helping and there are so many people who aren't qualified who seem to help. I, you know what I've decided for me is I'm going to go to the most qualified person I can. But I also may go to uh, additional people. I mean, maybe I have a whole team around me, a trusted team uh, in a variety of places. Hope you enjoyed that one. And I want to pivot all right, there is, that's the tale today. That's the story. I hope you liked it. I get he- tired of hearing myself talking. I'm going to go to something else that I'm really, I focus on a lot. And it is called, and I didn't introduce this up front, but I should have. It's about Facebook or social media. Okay. Do you all ever find yourselves like going, wait, what is what is my online identity or what is my profile? Does it match who I am? Do you also ever think you see a picture of one person sharing their life and you think, oh, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. And you see a picture of someone else sharing their life and you go, what a loser. They're so needy. Why do they have to do that? I started thinking about, you know, what Facebook and what Instagram and these posts, what it says about us. Because I'll tell you for me, I have a couple people that I will go to their page just to see what they've posted. And uh, one, I, and I have I have three. I got a list of three because um, it there's there's the person who always posts the. Um, they, they post these 
self-help things. They post a, a lot about their family, me and my little family, and it drives me bananas. Here's what I did as uh, a mommy today, and here's what little Stephen did. And and it's great. I love it, but something about this one just rubs me such the wrong way, and I thought, is it possible that with all this content you put out that you now think that having a family validates you as a person. Is that what that is? I don't know. Am I a judgmental, crazy person and that's why I've had anxiety in the past? Eh, maybe. <clears throat> but it, it's very clear like in this case of how much I love, and you get this a lot. Here's some common themes. How much I love my wife-husband. I love them so much. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, tell them. Why are you sharing it with me? And the other side of me says, well, they want their friends and family to know and, and put it out there that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with my spouse and I appreciate them and it's a nice thing to do. And then you're going to get some thumbs up and the spouse might be walking around and they're like, hey, I saw your spouse's post. Thumbs up to you and your marriage. But maybe there's something else behind it. What about the cheesy picture trying to look sexy what is that and no no it's it's worse too when guys do it i have a friend and um he's very it appears this is my judgment in love with his own eyes he's he'll do this close-up picture of his eyes um it's like that's the one thing he's been complimented on, perhaps. And so he's like, I have to show my eyes. And then he even put some sort of poll out there. What's the first thing people notice about you? And they say, and the poll he took, it said, the winner, your eyes. And then he had a close-up. And I'm like, dude, I knew it. Yeah, and there's there's another one who's recently become enlightened you know, they're enlightened and they're putting out how enlightened they are. And I just sometimes look into this and I go, what is behind that? You know, and, and I know it could be many things. It could be, in some of those cases, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Maybe, again, they're just trying to share their life with friends and family. Uh, or, hey, this self-help quote was helpful for me and maybe maybe I could share it with you. Or... It could also be, I need you. I'm looking for some sort of external to validate me as a person in my experience. <clears throat> other what other times it come across it comes across as online. I'm more interested in projecting an experience than having an experience. I say that because that was something I felt like maybe I did a little bit in my twenties because. Uh, I, I had different goals and, and a different career, and so I'm trying to project a bit of a, an experience. And I thought, you know, the, what I'm projecting doesn't quite match my insides. Maybe I should cool what I'm putting out. Side note, I think um, finally, and I've, I've been married for almost two years, I think I'm going to put married up there. All right. Um, it seems like also sometimes there's this, People have this, I belong somewhere, or I feel less than, so I must project more than. Ooh, that's a good quote. I came up with that. I feel less than, so I must project more than. What I did was I thought, well, Wes, 
here we are in 2020. What is what do some articles say about this? What do what do pros say about this? So one article on CBS News: <clears throat> What your Facebook activity says about you. All right, you post passive aggressive comments on Facebook. Hmm. And it goes on. But let's see. You need social validation and attention if if you share viral content that everyone's buzzing about. These individuals are often extremely concerned with attention and social validation. They are less likely to be interested in the actual content itself and more interested in having an, having an audience and how the audience receives and responds to the information. Hmm. <coughs> you have a poor self-image if you... I got to cough. I got to drink a little bit again. If, poor self-image if you constantly post about how awesome, cool, or fabulous you are. The irony with excessive status-seeking, the self-aggrandizing posting, such as, hey, you went to a, a party last night or you had a blast at this event, is a very strong indication of poor self-image, low self-confidence, and an excessive need for approval. Hmm. This type of posting pattern is associated with narcissistic tendencies, including superficial relationships, lack of substance, and manipulation. There is often dependence on outside approval to maintain a positive self-image or worth. Am I right? Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm on to something here. You either like to share great finds or are creating a fancy image of yourself if... You post pictures of food all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to scroll past that one. Let's keep going. You are shy and sensitive if shy and sensitive. You troll around Facebook without posting anything about yourself. This kind of behavior can be associated with an emotional sensitivity and a tendency for emotional sensibilities to strongly influence sense of self and style. These individuals can be drawn to activity online by an, by an attraction to the real or imagined possibilities represented by the lives of others. They can be self-effacing, shy, sensitive, and are often very attentive to and remember the information they encounter online. All right, done. That's probably the closest one to me right now. Shy and sensitive. I do troll around Facebook nowadays. I don't post much, much information about myself. I think it's time to post some updates about me. I'd say that's probably true. You're bored, lame, or both if you constantly update your Facebook profile with mindless things like stuff you watched on TV or what you ate today. You are needy if you post negative things on your page all the time. We got another one. Maybe that's it. Uh, there is one more article, and I just wanted it's dmarge.com. What your Facebook posts secretly say about your personality. 
let's let's do a little bit more learning about okay self-esteem individuals with low self-esteem are more likely to share on facebook than in person but because their status updates tend to express more negative thoughts they are perceived as less likable People with low self-esteem are more likely to feel insecure about their romantic relationships and consequently more likely to post about their partners as a way to boost their self-worth and refute others' impressions that their relationship is poor. Yeah, dude, come on. I mean, was I right? I think I'm right. Yes, I'm judgmental and I got to be careful with that, but I think I'm right. Uh, when I see someone constantly going, I've got the best spouse ever and our love is so strong and I just, I, I want to throw up and poop on myself. And why did I say that? That wasn't needed. But but sometimes it's just so unappealing. You know, I was I was having a conversation and I said, you know, sometimes when someone's crying, you're there and someone's crying, you want to hug them and other times you're repulsed by them. I just thought to myself, why do I love some shares and why am I repulsed by others? I got to sort this out. And and are, are my judgments justified or do I need to make, change up what I'm doing? Okay, there's two or three more. And if you're, I hope, I, I love this, but we'll, we'll move on after this. Narcissist, naturally vain, have a compulsive need to receive attention and admiration for their accomplishments and appearance. Facebook ideal platform. So those of us who score high in narcissism favor status updates about the following. Achievements, diet, and exercise. They post about these topics as a way to attract admiring friends and gain validation. Again, it's not always. I love when people share something about a a food that I'm interested in. I I guess we just sense that something's off, right? I talk about conscientious, family news, updates about children, funny things from everyday life. They maintain a low-key presence, often have more Facebook friends than other personality types. Okay, Openness, like political beliefs, intellectual subjects, indicate... A user who scores highly in openness, open-minded, curious, creative, and use Facebook as a way to get the message out about the topics they believe are important. Yeah, I mean, how, how am I supposed to have the awareness if I'm just being open versus if it's coming from some sort of needy space? Neurotic. Neurotic people? Anxious. We are anxious, which means... And I say we because... I, I can feel like all of these sometimes. Their Facebook posts are constantly are constant cries for attention and support. They have oh listen to this. They have no problem airing their grievances in public and as dramatically as possible. Their posts tend to be emotional and deeply personal bid for validation from friends. You know, in another article I found was something about passive-aggressive. If, if I don't have an ability to confront something or someone in person, then maybe I just go and throw something out about it on online because I have to get that anger or that pain out. 
as opposed to going straight to the, the situation. And it is highly likely that article said that if they're kind of being passive aggressive on Facebook, you can trust that they're being passive aggressive in their life and the people who are maybe closest or in their circle don't really know what they think. They don't really have a sense, and it can pull people away or push people away. And then that person who's passive-aggressive builds up resentment toward others because they're not expressing their hurts or their anger or their concerns or pain. Man, it's hard being a person out there, isn't it? It can be hard. So what the heck did we talk about today? Well, overcoming intrusive thoughts. Thank you to these people who have kind of dedicated their life to moving the ball forward on anxiety. It's hard, too, because everybody has some something that they offer. How do I pick? My thought is this. It's like a workout. If I'm going to go, as long as I'm going to the gym, whether I'm doing a class, P90X, or walking on that treadmill for an hour, as long as I'm doing something and I have something that I'm working on, there you go. As long as I'm not overdoing it, if I'm spending eight hours in the gym a day, I got a problem. If I'm going once a week, I'm not getting much done. So it's just like a consistent effort, be it whatever effort it is. And not all workouts are created equal, meaning maybe you've tried something that hasn't been a fit for you. It's the same with anxiety. We move on to the next person, the next strategy, and we keep going. We're not super quick. But there is an ending point when we say this this is working for me or this is not. Or I've gotten all I can from this method. I'm going to move on to find some other parts and, and continue to grow forward. But anyhow, great stuff by Dr. Martin Seif and Dr. Sally Winston. Unwanted intrusive thoughts. And then the whole Facebook thing. Isn't that interesting about how it is with Facebook? I was kind of right. I know for myself with anxiety... I have to be careful about my judgments and greatly limit Facebook. But I also don't want to be that person who is completely off because it's this great tool. I have to, you know, I don't want to, be, I don't want to completely eliminate it, but I want to use it right. Um, and I don't want to be the guy I'm accusing others of being. If you got anything to add, you know, you, you jerks. I've only got one review, and I've only got 11 ratings. If I get a rating this week, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm definitely going gonna, gonna to talk about it next week. You know that's happening. I'll probably share it to a couple of close people, and I'll be like, hey, somebody gave me another rating. It's up from 11 to 12. That's cool. <laughs> or, or a review. You can always hit me up. Email me. Um, what, uh, what is my email? Support at anxietyhelpwithwest.com. That took a while. Support at anxietyhelpwithwest.com. I may start also, one note, just adding, um, adding some conversations in. I may reach out. I said to myself, why don't I contact Dr. Seif myself? Get a hello. Say a hello to him. And there's some people hitting me up with their products. And I'm like, yeah, let's see. Let's take a look. Let's see what they got. We've done it yet again. Shall we do it next week? You Oh, you would. Beautiful. I will see you all next week. Have a great one. Boom. Boom.